0: Welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy Rewatch podcast.
1: I'm Cara Babcock, pronouns she, her.
0: And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her.
1: Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer.
0: This is a spoiler-free podcast.
1: Whether you're watching for the first time, or
0: longtime fans like us,
1: we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too.
0: During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy,
1: discuss the show's cultural impact,
0: and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Now, on to the episode.
1: season seven episode four help i need somebody
0: help Help. not just anybody or better yet we should sing abba (laughs) sos i I watched mama mia four days in a row give me a high five through the camera (laughs) that's a great movie Mm -hmm. anyway (laughs) help what an episode did you like it what did you feel what are you thinking
1: I have mixed feelings. Um, I feel like I'm going to be raising a lot of questions. This, I have questions, Steph. I have questions. Um, I feel like I'm going to be poking a lot of holes in the Buffy mythos at the moment, you know, in, in that facetious, but also maybe I'm ruining, ruining the fun for other people kind of way. So if, if that is you, listener, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> no. That's how I feel about this episode. It's, it's an episode. It, it's got the same kind of high school season one, season two vibes that I've enjoyed.
0: It does, yes. It has original Buffy in there, for sure. There's an element
1: of tragedy to it that I, I do think we can have a really good conversation about. Um, it left me feeling a little unsettled. I I see what the writers were going for, and, and I'm I'm here for it, I guess. But also, it's, it's really sad, which I did not need last night. <laughs> and... But also, like, I don't know. It's, to me, there's stuff about this episode I really liked. Like, the scenes with Buffy doing her job. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's stuff about this episode where I'm just like, I don't know how well this works. It felt very season one and season two as a result. Like, the the quality level brought me back to there in both a good way and a bad way.
0: If I were to rename this episode something, I would call it surface level. (laughs) And that's because... What I was feeling while I was watching the episode is that we're only getting the surface level of what these characters are feeling and experiencing based on all the events that are happening in the episode. Like, if if you're the one poking holes in things, I'm going to be embellishing. I'm going to be like, this is what this character is probably going through, but we're not getting any of it. We're not getting any conversations around it. We're not getting anything based on plot. You know, It's just what I intu- into intuit, having watched the series for this long, ha- knowing these characters as well as we do. Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff here that they could have embellished on, but they didn't. So I'm going to do it.
1: <laughs> My alternate title, uh, in true Sartrean fashion, um, is No Exit. Mm. Because I think this episode really exemplifies the whole idea of hell is other people. You know, uh, so many people in this episode are kind of trapped in their own little hell. Buffy's in the hell of high school, secondhand, as fellow teachers and school staff members can attest to. Um, and, you know, Spike's trapped in this kind of mental hell of his own making. You know, Willow's kind of in this, this hell of piecing together her life and who she is now that Tara's gone and, and all the stuff that she did. So uh, that's why, to me, I think, obviously, you know, Cassie can't avoid her fate, so... I think No Exit is a an appropriate title.
0: Well, let's get into it. So we open on an open casket of a dead woman. The funeral director and staff are leaving. They're saying the service is tomorrow. They shut off all the lights. Out of the coffin, next to that, the coffin, comes Buffy the Vampire Slayer with a flashlight. And the music <laughs> makes it look like, you know, when the, when the coffin opens, it's like, oh, it's a vampire. No, it's Buffy. <laughs> okay,
1: I already have a question. Yes. Do funeral directors... Normally, just leave caskets open um, and ready go for, for viewing night.
0: for the next day. <laughs> great question.
1: Would you not at least close the casket?
0: Or like, doesn't the body need to be like in the cooler or like wherever they keep it? Like, can it just yeah, be left out is... like that? Ah. <laughs> yeah,
1: this seems really strange.
0: This is classic Sunnydale funeral home. <laughs> There's like, she might get up in the middle of the night and leave. So let's just leave it open so we don't lose a coffin with her trying to break out of it. Um, I actually have a lot of points about this opening scene. I, I saved most of them for the end.
1: Buckle up, listeners.
0: Buckle up, because there's a lot of things happening in it's this one first of those scene. Episodes. It's going to be one of those tangent episodes. Ooh, are we going to go on tangents? okay uh Xander comes out of the, another coffin uh she shines her flashlight on him he's like 33 minutes since when do we go to all this trouble for one lousy vampire sorry one lousy potential vampire and Buffy's like vampire by vampire that's the only way I know how and then knocking from another coffin Xander lets Dawn out and I called her Dawn Weasley <laughs> uh, and um she's gasping and she says i think that this has a freaking child's lock on it you know i'm not the one the shortest one here i don't know why i had to be at the kid coffin and buffy starts to say i know it's my job because xander and don are bitching at her right now and xander says cara xander says i'm sorry i want to help i guess i've been a bit stressed out lately i'm sorry i took it out on you what 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 an apology from Xander Harris, Cara. I'm sorry, but this is like four episodes in a row. I mean, last episode he didn't do anything, but he didn't also didn't he also didn't piss me off last episode, did he? I I'm am over.
1: now auditioning new co-hosts of Prophecy <laughs> Girls because Steph is violating her contract by caping for Xander Harris. So
0: what can I say? Okay, he said so. we, we seven years. It's taken him to say sorry. And hear you saying no, sorry. I,
1: reluctantly, I must agree with you.
0: Like, what is this? Like, look at my, look at my note there. It's like, what? Is... <laughs> um, I was shocked to hear him apologize and then say, "I'm stressed out. I don't want to take it out on you." Because Xander has always taken it out on her. Always. Wow. I, once again, I'll have to repost that meme. Is this growth? <laughs> so. Buffy says, no big, I've been kind of a stressed. I've been kind of stressed myself. Don says the whole willow stress is not unstressifying. She's here, but not part of the gang here. And hopefully not under my feet here in another time dimension here. And Buffy's like, there's Willow, the looming humongous bad, and it's a school night. I should be home in bed, cuddling up to my insomnia and worrying about how I'm going to mess up tomorrow.
1: Same bestie.
0: <laughs> Buffy, welcome to the working world. This
1: is exactly how I feel as a teacher.
0: Work in general. Do you ever get the Sunday scaries? Like when I was at work, because I'm on mat leave right now, um, when I worked, every Sunday like night, I'd get super depressed. Like Just like, oh,
1: tomorrow... <laughs> often yes um you know for the past several years i've been lucky enough that most sundays i'm i've got a weekly standing hangout with one of my best friends and ever since we started doing that when that happens i don't get the sunday scary. it's just it's such a nice wholesome time uh, and i really really like it so shout out to friends who spend time with you just like you do every tuesday night with me stuff. <laughs>
0: Well, clearly, I'm doing Sunday nights wrong where I was.
1: I don't get the Tuesday scares.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Don tells Buffy, "You'll be fine. You're going to be a great counselor." Buffy says, "My first week actually talking to the kids. What if their problems are weird and tricky?" Xander says, "I think you underestimate your familiarity with the weird with the world of weird and tricky. This job's perfect for you." So. Th- <laughs> He's still being supportive, Kara. This is weird. Um, Buffy says, Check out Perfect Me, taking my sister to an educa- educational outing to the, Don says, dead body. So they observe the woman in the coffin, and Xander says, I don't know, amateur op- opinion here, but she looks dead. I mean, natural cause is dead. Buffy says... The paper said she had unusual cuts and contusions on her neck, and we do see that there are badly sewn cuts on this woman's neck.
1: You did such a good job with this body.
0: Right? It's like like the sutures are, like, sticking out. Um, Xander says maybe she cut herself shaving and then died naturally from embarrassment. If Joyce was there, she would say maybe it was a kitchen fork or, like, what was that? What? A salad fork? What did she think stabbed her when when Darla attacked her in season one? Uh, oh, a barbecue fork. <laughs> Long live Joyce Summers. Uh, Dawn says she looks peaceful, but then suddenly the eyes pop open. It's a vampire. And she says, I am not peaceful. Buffy says, I can help you with that. <laughs> and stakes her. And she says, I always thought closed caskets were or tasteful anyway and she shuts the lid so cut to credits question
1: question hello um okay how often does this happen at the sunnydale funeral home um so the body has now disappeared it's gone missing so you're the the funeral director you come into work the next day this body is gone yeah what do you do do you report it to the authorities does the funeral home just kind of have this tacit understanding that if a body goes missing, then we shouldn't worry about it. It was a vampire. No big deal. Like if Buffy hadn't staked this vampire, she would have woken up anyway and then Peaced out, walked away. Right. <laughs> Pieced out. Yeah. So I have so many questions around like the protocols at this funeral home. How do they deal with the fact that either because of Buffy snuck in and staked the vampire or the vampire got up and walked away, there's no body in the morning. <laughs>
0: I've headcanon around the funeral homes in Sunnydale. I think that they were in on the supernatural elements of the city because they work probably very closely with the mayor and city hall and those government officials that know about that stuff. And the funeral director's in on it, probably for money. Maybe he's evil as well.
1: Great ideas.
0: I also think possibly. So like, yeah, sometimes they come in and the bodies are missing. We've seen that literally happen on the show, where like bodies get up and leave from the funeral home so i think what they think is like okay so that's part of the big evil thing if there's no body here fine but in this case there's going to be dust in the casket right so they're going to look in there's going to be dust everywhere and i think they probably don't know about the slayer so i bet every time they go there and there's dust in the casket they think it's an actual body snatcher and dust is like their calling card like they There's, leave the uh, dust behind
1: <laughs> i'm just i'm so stressed by <laughs> the the logistics of what's going on here.
0: <laughs> right so so we just have to believe that they're in on it a bit and they're like well you know what we'll, it's, it's like the, cash the cash
1: speed in. of the sunnydale coroner's office and the the speed of the reporting on dead bodies of this town i'm just like uh it's so stressful
0: okay but also like consistency sometimes these vampires only need to be dead for a couple hours. This one has a whole, like, couple days to have a funeral and get ready for the funeral. Then they got to get buried. Like, it's just timing-wise, some vampires rise way
1: sooner than others. I prefer to think of them as ripening.
0: Mm, I don't like that word.
1: (laughs) Have we we found a vampire-related word that Steph doesn't like? Ripening. Should I keep using it?
0: I mean, yeah, if you say
1: something like that vampire's ripe i'll be like
0: (laughs) um okay i have a lot of notes here the first one obviously already brought up xander apologizing sympathizing what's happening why am i like good for you xander my other question to you Kara, is don't you think that if buffy was inside a dark coffin for 33 minutes she would be triggered because remember she clawed her way out of her own coffin maybe that's part of the
1: point maybe she's challenging herself to do a little bit of therapy to work through that
0: interesting you think she's like forcing herself to get used to that i'm just like this this is the first example of something i thought would make a big difference to a character or could have been a big moment for a character obviously they're not going to spend this much time on these little things but like we know that buffy was literally traumatized by that experience it it literally rocked her the entire season so for her to think nothing of it in this case four episodes into season seven i just i'm just like okay but where's the consistency because i think i do think that would trigger her so my my other point about this opening scene is as we said at the beginning of the episode this does feel very old school buffy and like i like Mm -hmm. that xander points it out right like since when do we go vampire by vampire xander you used to go vampire by vampire every week right and that's this is why it's like a nice callback to that yeah so at the high school buffy is sitting at her new desk and prepping her things and sharpening her pencil and she's looking super nervous and kara i am shook that they did not give her a private area to talk to students like it's an open cubicle
1: what can i say Steph, it's the American education system, soon to be the Ontario education system as well. Budget cuts. They just don't have the funding they need. I'm surprised that she gets walls at all. She's very privileged.
0: (laughs) I'm just saying, like, if I was a troubled student, you think I'm going to want to walk in there, talk to her out in the open where any other one, any student could listen in?
1: Nobody wants to walk in and talk to an adult. In high school, the best of times. You
0: know you know what? Buffy is like Elle Woods from Legally Blonde. She isn't afraid of a challenge. <laughs> she will get these kids to talk to her, open cubicle or not. So a student comes in and Buffy like shouts. She's like, come in. Hi. <laughs> and the girl has long brown hair and sits and says, Mr. Miller sent me here. Maybe because this guy was picking on me. And Buffy's just like, okay. So then we cut to another kid who came in, I guess, a couple i don't know half an hour later uh he's the guy from coach carter if anyone's seen that basketball movie this guy was in it and uh his hood's up so this whole scene i call him hoodie he's saying i don't want to talk to you because he's a troubled youth and buffy says okay that's fine he says i'm serious i don't want to talk and buffy's like okay then Kara, the guy from home improvements one of the sons (laughs) and so i call him home improvement this whole episode You know, home improvement, Tim, the tool man, Taylor. Never. Okay. Well, he was, he, this kid played one of his sons, the oldest son. He is saying, I hate to miss bio, but I thought it was best to come speak with you. Buffy's like, what's on your mind? Are you worried about school, friends, girls, your parents? And he says, yeah, that's it. My parents issues of divorce. So we cut back to the girl and Buffy is saying it's awful being teased, but with bullies like this, they're really just, and the girl says insecure. Everyone says that. I'm really tired of everyone being so insecure. Word. The hoodie sits down at Buffy's desk and they just stare at each other. There's no talking. They're just staring at each other. Buffy tells Home Improvement that divorce is terrible. My parents got divorced when I was a kid. And Home Improvement says, my parents are happily married. It's hard. I feel left out. But but I'm also concerned about girls. And then he chuckles and he says, "Okay, I'm just bored. Maybe I should get back to bio. And Buffy just stares at him, gives him the stare down. He leaves. Buffy tells the girl whose name ends up being Amanda to stick up for herself and tell this bully that you're not going to take any more of his guff, any guff.
1: (laughs) Nice one there, Buffy.
0: (laughs) I love it because Buffy is not a cusser. (laughs) She's Truth. not like she's not like you and I where she would just drop shit any I, other day. I so the- used
1: to not use profanity. I, I was very clean and then I don't remember when it happened, but at some point I just kind of embraced it as a form of kind of creative expression. I'm not as bad as some people. And this is not me judging anybody. This is just like some people I know are very creative with their profanity and yeah. do swear like sailors. Uh, I have I have less of a range but I like to think I deliver it with dramatic flair.
0: I fucking swear all the fucking time. Uh, And it's going to be really hard for me when Rosalind gets older and I have to, like, scale it back. Or I can just be like, those are mom's words. (laughs) You can't say them until you're 18. Stop with all
1: that guff, Rosalind.
0: (laughs) That doesn't... Just saying, like, oh, that guy guffing sucks, it just doesn't feel as good. You know what, though? Just quick sidebar here. Kara, when you use the C word, (laughs) people lost their fucking shit about it like in a good way they're like i can't believe you said it that's awesome and i learned just from our followers that are from australia that that's a very common word to use in some countries like oh australia. yeah it's super
1: common in the uk too i heard it all the time when i was in the uk okay yeah. so
0: you're okay to say it like i'm i realized how prudish i am with it like i'm like i don't i don't just drop that word unless it's really well, neither do i my point is like it's totally fine it's totally fine too but for some reason over here in canada we're just like oh no <laughs> oh well
1: no. I, I i think it's it's a little bit more the gendered pejorative connotations are still more intact here in in canada and the u.s than they are in other commonwealth countries where they are uh it's more of just a a general kind of profanity right it, it it doesn't have the same gendered connotation something like you know bitch yeah. right bitch is technically a misogynistic pejorative but it's a word that women and femalined individuals have worked to reclaim over the last couple of decades you know and i think i i, I don't know if we got into this when we were talking about it in the episode i think i just dropped the word but you just dropped it and we moved on <laughs> Yeah, like back when I still thought I was a man, I I didn't use the word bitch, even jokingly, even in like a supportive way to my friends, because I didn't think that was my word to use as a man. Um, and certainly, I would never have used the c word. And then, you know, once I figured myself out and, and transitioned, I was like, okay, well, I mean, I'm going to take on bitch because that's mine now. <laughs> um, but I st- I still like my best friend loves the c-bomb she will drop that anytime she wants to and i'm like like you i don't i don't know if it's a prudish thing again maybe part of it's just for me that discomfort of kind of navigating the authenticity of my womanhood and like is, am i still allowed to use this and and you know who says who says who's allowed to use what but yeah i i'm happy i'm happy that i can still surprise people i i think it's always nice to still have a little bit of runway, right? If, if you're not capable of surprising people. I, I like that there's still a little bit of mystery for our listeners. And I hope you're all on your toes because you never know what's going to come out of my mouth next.
0: <laughs> when she'll drop it next time. Uh, Buffy's not using that word. Uh, she's going to say shit, obviously. And I and I, my point about this is more that... Buffy doesn't usually swear. So she must be very nervous or like, just like, you know, when you're, when you know, like there's something I absolutely cannot say, even though I usually don't say it anyway. And she like, it just happens to come up organically. You know, that's what I think would happen here. I think it's cute. Uh, so, anyway, don't take any of this guff. And Amanda says, That's what I did. I stuck up for myself. The other day after class, I jumped him in the parking lot and I slammed his stupid ass insecure face into the pavement. That's another reason Mr. Miller wanted me to see you. Amanda says, Do you think I should pound him some more? And I think Amanda's terrifying, all right? The fact that she just like attacks this kid. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious, but also, Amanda, you scare me. Yeah. So, oh my God, this scene. Willow and Xander are on their hot girl walk, I thought. That's what I thought they were doing, right? Their lunchtime hot girl walk. Xander is saying, I bet Buffy is giving great advice right now. Willow's like, absolutely. Those kids are lucky to have Buffy looking out for them. I just wished that she believed it. She's still stressing over the whole dropping out of college, not really qualified thing. So this is a very small sentence, that really sparked my interest. I was fascinated that they said this because Buffy mentioned in lessons when Robin Wood gave her the job that she doesn't have school, right? That she had to quit school. And Willow bringing it up here is also stressing the fact that Buffy is really insecure about not having her education, Um, that her not being qualified in some way educational-wise, like not having the degree to back up what she's doing here makes her nervous, makes her feel like she's not good enough to be there. And I find that really Mm -hmm. interesting because you are good enough to be there, Buffy, because you're there. Right? Like, you've already landed the perfect role for you.
1: But I I think she might worry that Principal Wood just gave her the job because he feels bad that her dogs all died.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, that's one part part of it for sure. Uh, But yeah, I just found it interesting because you and I talked so much in season three about how our society is so geared toward education, right? You need to have your education to be successful mm-hmm. or, or you need an education to be taken seriously in this world. And Buffy's really bought into that um, as so many people are. But like if Buffy opened her eyes, she'd be like, actually I got this job because I am really good at what I'm doing. I am ha- a natural at it. And um, I'm sure Buffy does want to go and finish her education. But I find it interesting that she's like, oh, I'm that she's feeling insecure about not having it when she's already doing the work that needs to be done. You know?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, what we have to acknowledge is that Buffy is a tradesperson, right? Being a slayer is a vocation. It is a calling. Um, and it is a technical trade. She has knowledge of weapons and combat and, you know, uh, tactics and strategy Buffy is actually a lot closer to Xander in terms of her career pathway than somebody like Willow. And I don't want to say it was a mistake for Buffy to try to go to college because I never want to discourage anybody from higher education, right? You do you, try college, try university, like, and lots of trades people do, whether or not they remain in the trades. But I think that maybe the show missed an opportunity. And obviously, it being of its time, this wasn't you know, back at, in the early two thousands, it was you will go to college, you will go to university, and that's why Xander kind of gets judged so harshly by other people. But there is nothing wrong with going into the trades, uh, and and how powerful would it be to have a, a woman tradesperson, right? And to have that emphasis on like Buffy, it, it's not about being book smart; i's about having those street smarts of. Yeah, you know how to kill monsters real good. Um, <laughs> and maybe the show could have, instead of putting that pressure on her of, well, you have to be the Slayer and be a college student and get good grades. It could have been, oh, you're the Slayer and you're going to specialize in that, right? And you're going to do classes in you know weapons training. and You're going to do classes in martial arts. And I think that could have been History. a very yeah. fascinating pathway. Yeah. So Buffy is a tradesperson um she's very very good at what she does and i agree with all your other points as well like i agree that she belongs you know doing what she's doing uh for sunnydale high but i just i also think we the show has missed that opportunity to kind of draw that parallel where it's like as i said in a previous episode xander is the most successful scooby (laughs) in terms of traditional careers willow's young like she's got time to figure herself out lots of people don't know what they're doing in their 20s lots of us don't know what we're doing in our 30s no shade same with you buffy you, you actually are doing better than you think. The only thing that sucks, of course, is that biggest layer doesn't pay well.
0: <laughs> at all. Uh, and I, I do, I do think there's something to be said about experience, right? Like getting the experience of being a counselor at the school right now is the equivalent of getting your college degree. It's a different type of learning, but it's still developing you personally, right? It's called personal capital. So, okay. So they start talking about the hell mouth, how it's salivating under their feet. Zander says from beneath you, it devours. Willow says it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad when it comes. Will I be able to help? Zander says, I think so. She says, I don't know what I can do. Frankly, I'm scared of what I might do. Zander says, I get that. Figuring out how to control your magic seems like hammering, like hammering a nail. You're hammering, right? If you hold the end of the hammer, you have the power, but no control. It takes two strokes to hit the nail in, or you could hit your thumb. So you choke up control, but no power. I could take 10 strokes to knock it in. That's power control. It's trade off. So Willow says it's not a bad analogy, except I'm less worried about hitting my thumb and more worried about going all black eyed batty and bewitching that hammer to cracking my friend's skulls open like coconuts. (laughs) She says Xander being back here. I don't know. Xander says it'll take time. And then they stop walking. And Xander says, are you sure you're ready for this? And Willow nods and walks ahead alone. So this is where we realize that they've come to a cemetery. One of the cemeteries that we've never seen, Kara, because this one is next to what I thought was a beautiful lake, but it could be the ocean because we know they're on an ocean. It seems like a
1: waterfront cemetery.
0: Right? Beautiful. I
1: have have questions.
0: So Willow seems to know where she's going. And then she stops in front of a tombstone, places rocks on top, which I believe is a Jewish tradition. And she kneels in front. And we see that it's Tara's tombstone. It says Tara McClay, October 16th, 1980 to May 7th, 2002, which makes me think, Kara, that it's, it's Tara's birthday, right? Because it's been four episodes, usually these things premiere in September. So it's very likely Tara's birthday today, whenever this was airing. Will says, hey, she touches Tara's name. and She says, it's me. And a tear falls down her face. And wow, I'm very moved. This was a very moving scene. He, like I said, Cara, I called this episode surface level because again, oh my God, Willow is visiting Tara's grave. Tara, the, her love of her life who died and Willow went insane and killed people and took on all these magics with a K and is now suffering the consequences of that without Tara still, right? Like everything happened and she has to deal with that. But she, on top of that, she's grieving her girlfriend. And it's the first time I'm guessing she's visiting her tombstone, this is a huge fucking moment, and we don't see any more of it. Like, I really believe that the next scene we saw of Willow would be her talking to the tombstone, right? To, to right. Saying something. Like, did you know what I did? I'm sorry. Or, or I did it for you, but it wasn't for you. Like, something, something, something. But we don't get it. We don't get it. I'm like, that's a missed opportunity. I really would have loved to see Willow say her goodbye.
1: I guess... It just didn't make it in there, right? Like, I guess they just knew that they wouldn't have time. There is something to be said for less is more. That was a very, like, heartfelt criticism, Steph. (laughs) Unfortunately, the only thing I could think about as I watched this moment was, who paid for Tara's gravestone? (laughs) Because we know Buffy's broke, and Willow wasn't around because she was you know, killing people off to England. Yeah. My only theory is Giles. Yeah. Maybe Xander. Maybe Xander had enough cash on him. He did just blow all his money on a wedding. My theory is Giles did it, you know, before he went back to England. He's like, by the way, get Tara a nice gravestone. But like somebody had to deal with, because she has no family in Sunnydale, right? They have buried her in Sunnydale. Willow wasn't around to claim to be next to kin. Like, Again, it's just I'm raising all these logistics questions. Somebody had to deal with the body. Somebody had to deal with the funeral, like the burial arrangements. That all had to happen. Um, and obviously there are mechanisms in place. If nobody claims a body, right, the the state will take care of it. But I don't think you get that nice of a gravestone if that's the situation. So unfortunately, I apologize because I don't want to step on this moment. Like you said, it's a very heartfelt moment, but I'm just it that's immediately where my brain went was just like the logistics of what's going on here
0: remember uh, at some point last season dawn said she had money so maybe she's the one that paid for it um
1: that just makes me really really sad
0: <laughs> well what makes me sad is it's very likely that they didn't have a funeral for her they probably had a very small thing or buffy's Dawn, because giles would have been in england mm-hmm. with
1: willow clem would have showed up
0: clem was there probably yeah, that that's very true, and that's another thing that adds to why I'm kind of like, uh, like the fact that we didn't even get a funeral for Tara. This is the closest we're gonna get. I don't know if we'll ever see her tombstone again, but like, if this is the moment, I just wish we had more of it. And I, I like what you said earlier, right? Like, less is more. Fine. Like, I was still moved by the scene. I still loved. Yeah, what, I'm what saying little that did. because it's just you know.
1: I'm saying that because this is a a little bit of a lazy episode in that sense. You might have noticed in the first scene. Dawn was doing a lot of exposition, right? Kind of talking about how like Willow's still going through it. And I think that's very intentional. The writers were trying to show us a little bit of passage of time and kind of update us on the Willow situation, but they didn't want to spend too much time on Willow in this episode. Most of Willow's part of this episode is just kind of as support. You know, she's researched research gal. And there's nothing wrong with that. This doesn't have to be a Willow-centric episode. But I think what it means is, By kind of shoehorning in the visiting the grave scene, it results in, as you pointed out, that missed opportunity. I I think their intentions were, we're going to put this in here. It's a nice nod to Willow's recovery journey. Um, We don't have time for anything else in this episode. Obviously, there will be another Willow episode coming up, I'm sure. And this to me is why I think this episode is so uneven, right? Like, mm-hmm. totally this episode veers from wacky, you know, hijinks like hiding in coffins to <laughs> I, I'm grieving I'm sad. over <laughs> my murdered girlfriend's grave yeah, for 2.5 seconds. And then we cut back to <laughs> Sunnydale High youth problems.
0: For something that... Really sparked an enormous character arc for Willow last season. To just just give it a little glimpse here, I was like, really, like really, just like we missed her recovery. Like we're missing this moment for her too, and I don't want to miss it. You know, so let's go back to Buffy dealing with the hoodie kid. Hoodie says that his brother joined up with the Marines. And if he knew I was making a fool of myself, he'd smack me in my head because I guess I'm being stupid. And Buffy says, sounds like your brother's pretty tough. He says, yeah, he's a man. I'm just all messed up right now. Buffy says, it's not messed up to worry about your brother. Hoodie says, what if he doesn't come back? What if he gets blown up? Buffy asks if he told him how he feels. And Hoodie says, no, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk to him. Understand?
1: So good job, Buffy. Uh, you, you know, you wore this kid down. And we can see the exact same things repeating, right? He's like, I don't want to talk to my brother. Well, you clearly you will. Yeah. Uh, Buffy just has to stare at you long enough. Yeah. Um, this is, goes back to what you were just saying. Buffy is where she needs to be. She's very good at this. She's very wise. She didn't press the kid. She's not like, you're going to talk. Like She just waited, which is exactly what you need to do in this kind of situation. So uh, good for you. And I also just want to point out. Uh, that Buffy and the show are modeling a healthy version of masculinity here where, you know, she's reassuring this young man that it is okay to have feelings and to talk about your feelings with other men. Uh, And I think that is a very positive message.
0: Yeah, I really liked that, uh, this particular part of the scene. I was like, oh, interesting. So we cut to nerdy Josh telling Buffy he's worried that he's gay. And Buffy's like, first of all, I think it's great that you would come and talk to me about this. You should know that there is nothing shameful about being gay.
1: Nothing. And did you notice that she's getting a little bit like when Willow came out to her? She's like, that's great, Will. <laughs> you know, like, she started I, I, I thought her, the next thing out of her mouth was going to be, uh, I have a gay friend. <laughs> you know? like
0: <laughs> I, too, know a gay. <laughs> right?
1: She, Like, she clearly means well, and, and again, I, and I know you're about to reveal the twist in this scene, but, like, again, like, it's great that the show is modeling acceptance of queer people here. That's fantastic. But also Buffy, it's it's so funny how awkward you get.
0: <laughs> but again, isn't that of its time? We talked about this back in season four. Oh, for sure,
1: it's still now, Steph.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so funny now because you're right. She's just like, oh, just it's okay to be. <laughs> so so anyway, what this kid says is, I'm pos- uh, I'm not positive. So I was thinking, why don't you go on a date with me so I can get. So I can be sure, and then he grins big. Buffy just sighs. Detention,
1: rat detention.
0: Rat detention. Ooh, <laughs> you're not turned into a rat for any period of time. You're taken care of by rats. You're watched. You have to take care of a rat <laughs> for a su- for her after school program. Uh, keep your rat alive. So. Cut to Buffy saying, it sounds like it's difficult for you. Like, maybe your sister makes it hard for you to establish your own identity. You said she's controlling. She doesn't let you make your own decisions. She's talking to Donna, of course, who says, yeah, and she borrows my clothes without asking. And Buffy's like, I understand. That's hard.
1: This is hilarious. I do love this. It's just a bit, right?
0: Don's trolling Buffy on her first day of work. It's fucking hilarious. So we cut to Buffy, who's talking to a blonde girl with pink tips. Named Cassie, Love your purple. Like purple tips, uh, named Cassie, who was saying she's not doing her homework. It all seems kind of whatever. And Buffy's like, I know high school can seem frustrating, but if you get through it, you can go to college or join the French Foreign Legion or so anything you want. Cassie says, I'm not going to do all that stuff. I'm not graduating from high school. Buffy's like, why not? She says, I really like that shirt. Where'd you get it? Buffy says, don't change the subject. Why won't you graduate? Cassie says, because next Friday, I'm going to die. Buffy's like, What? And Cassie says, we can talk about something else. Buffy's like, no, we have to talk about this. What makes you feel like this? Why do you want to hurt yourself? Cassie says, I'm not going to commit suicide if that's what you're saying. No way. Buffy says, then what are you saying? Cassie says, I don't mean to be a pain. You're really nice. And I know you're just trying to help, but I'm wasting your time. Buffy says, no, you're not. This is, this is why I'm here. Why do you think you're going to die? And she says, I don't think it. I know it. I just know. And Buffy says, are you saying that someone's going to hurt you? Has someone threatened you? And Cassie says, no, I just know that next Friday I'm going to die. Some things just, I just know. I know there will be coins, lots of coins, weird ones. I know you'll go someplace dark underground. I know you'll try to help, but you can't, okay? I got to go. Thanks for being so nice. I really do like your shirt. You should put a sweater on so it doesn't get stained. And then she gets up and leaves. Buffy's protesting as she leaves.
1: Um, Obligatory shout out, the name Cassie is obviously short for Cassandra. Cassandra in Greek mythology was a priestess in the city of Troy and I, she was cursed to be an oracle whose prophecies always came true, but nobody ever believed her. Oh,
0: so we cut to Principal Wood's office. <laughs> Ooh, send me to the office. I've been a bad
1: girl. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh my god okay i was gonna offer to do this scene for you but clearly you 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 need some time alone with perhaps your principal.
0: i should do it <laughs> buffy is asking what she should what she should do and robin is saying you did what you were supposed to do you reported the situation to me it's hard what's hard Principal? <laughs> he says it's hard kids this age age this age they're hurting they're pissed off sometimes they, sa- they say awful things when I was in high school I had this thing with this bully and I kept telling everyone that he better sleep with one eye open because I'm gonna bust his ass well I got sus- suspended talk like that is taken pretty seriously where I come from Buffy says the hood
1: <laughs> oh <dear.
0: laughs> and principal one says Beverly Hills which is a hood
1: <laughs> on behalf of all white girls I apologize <laughs>
0: Okay, it's so brutal, but it's so fucking funny. I'm sorry.
1: No, I agree. Like it Uh, it is hilarious. I laughed at it, but it's also like, oh Oh, god. (laughs) So This is what happens when you don't have any racially diverse friends.
0: (laughs) The hood? that came out of left field for me i laughed really hard yeah
1: i I totally forgot that that was a joke at all. i I can't believe
0: uh. it i can't believe i heard that and it came from buffy and it was it was just oh my god wild so he says the point i was was saying is that I, i was talking big because i was scared i couldn't bust a move in high school let alone someone's ass most of the time that's what it was it was when students act out fear and pain buffy says sometimes it's not just talk right And Robin says, every time there's a threat like this, we do the same dance. Inform teachers, search lockers, but we can't know what's going to happen and we can't search their their brains. We just do what we can. Buffy says, it's not enough. I need to fix this. I don't usually get a heads up before somebody dies. And Robin says, what do you mean usually? (laughs) And Buffy says, not since my dogs died. (laughs) She didn't say that. (laughs) She says, not since dot, 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 dot. Um, I don't know what she means by that. Like not since. Was she talking about Prophecy Girl? Like, you know, I, I'm usually not giving a heads up.
1: Well, just in general, right? Like, in her line of work, you know, normally she's the one coming on the scene of the dead bodies.
0: Mm-hmm. She says, I mean, I'm sure it's not usually to get a chance to stop something like this. I need to do something okay. But now she's saying that she's walking forward and she trips and she spills coffee all over her beautiful white shirt, just like Cassie
1: said. Oh, Buffy, girl, it looks like you need to cover up that stain. You didn't bring a sweater. So, Steph, what could Buffy do? Where could she possibly get a replacement for that shirt of hers? She
0: should get on that computer that's at her desk and hop on prophecygirls.ca slash store.
1: Yeah, we know they have the internet because she's looking at Cassie's website later in the episode.
0: Right, and she should do a call back to season one and get a Praise Mullick sweatshirt Mm -hmm. with the uh, Prophecy Girls logo on it. Wouldn't well, that be
1: nice? Yeah, there's there's a couple versions of the Prophecy Girls logo, right? She could do one with the the silhouette of you and me holding stakes, very on <laughs> brand for the Vampire Slayer. Uh, or there's just one that says Prophecy Girls with some logos around it. Um, either way, she could do so many styles of t-shirt, really high quality. Uh, She could even do a hoodie or a sweatshirt or a tank top if she wanted. There's lots of options on prophecygirls.ca slash store.
0: Get on it, Buffy. But what she does first is she goes to Dawn's locker and says, I have a job for you.
1: I love that. I just, the way that she shows up at Dawn's locker. (laughs) And it's like first day on the job, you're already recruiting your younger sister to spy for you. A plus, Buffy.
0: maybe if Dawn hadn't come to troll her earlier, she wouldn't even have been top of mind. <laughs> so, that's on Donifer.
1: So, we cut to Cassie in the library chatting with a boy Ooh. as Dawn drops some eaves.
0: Dawn has been dropping eaves since her first episode, so this really she is a her.
1: professional dropper of those eaves.
0: That's why Buffy was so right to go to Dawn. She's like, I have the perfect job for you. Because you already do this. Exactly. You're already specialized in this.
1: (laughs) Uh, So Cassie and the boy are apparently flirting, according to Steph. I don't know what they're doing, but. They're flirting. uh, Good to know. Uh, He's talking about her drawing him a tattoo. And he says that they should go to that dance after all. Because there's always a dance in high school, apparently. Uh, But Cassie's already turned him down. Uh, And he's clearly into her. Uh, and he wants to step up the romance. So then Don jumps in. Don's like, I'm going to cock block this guy. <laughs> uh, very awkwardly, she introduces herself um, to him. And then she turns to Cassie and she's like, we have ceramics class together.
0: Ceramics class? Ceramics class? What is this high school teaching?
1: It's an art class. This was back when high school still funded the art stuff. Well,
0: remember also in the body, she was doing like she was an art class then too. Right. She was drawing. Mm-hmm bodies
1: right but once you get further on in high school you can take more specialized art classes
0: good for them i'm jealous
1: <laughs> so don has this excuse all ready to go she's like oh you know she missed an assignment so she wants to you know get the assignment from cassie and the boy whose name is mike but can we call him mitch is he a mitch <laughs> young mitches are older because
0: is age okay. with cordelia you
1: know because he kind of acts like a mitch later i'm asking he's kind of a mitch later in the episode we can call proto mitch at least oh mitch all right baby mitch
0: baby <laughs> mitch
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> baby mitch is like i i gotta go study uh you know he's got a test and cassie's like you're gonna get a b as he walks away he says a plus baby a plus so Don sits down next to Cassie, does not apologize for cockwalking her. hers, just like, this is the perfect time for some girl talk. She asks Cassie what Cassie's reading, and Cassie says, uh, oh, I stopped reading my homework assignments, because Don assumes that if you're reading a book, you have to be doing it for school. <laughs> it's Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut, which is another little nice kind of reference, because the protagonist, have you read Slaughterhouse-Five, stuff?
0: Long time ago.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really good novel. Um, I mean, I'm a science fiction girly, so... I don't enjoy all of his novels, but Slaughterhouse-Five is a classic for a reason. The protagonist, he, he can't see the future, but he is, quote-unquote, unstuck in time. So he's living his life out of chronological order. And so he knows kind of things about his own future, like when he's going to die and stuff, because he's, he's not living linearly. So it's, it's a nice uh, nod to Cassie's own situation. They continue talking, and Don's like, oh, that's so cool. You know, I'd do that, but my sister would be down my neck in a second. Smooth, Don. Because then Cassie says, oh, you're Summers. Summers. You're the counselor's little sister. So Don says, no, Buffy is my sister. That's right. Good for you, Don. You reframe that discourse.
0: Okay, you know what? I have a quote note about that later because Buffy does the same thing. And I think it's really true that they're both like, she's my sister because they both do it.
1: <laughs> the world revolves around them summer sisters i love it uh the, it was really nice how that you can see the sister dynamic
0: in yeah. the relationship this whole season it's, it's just been on point
1: so cassie says oh you know she's really nice i just saw her this morning and dawn's like oh yeah what about <laughs> <laughs> smooth, smooth dawn buffy's out here asking if people are from the hood Don's out here being
0: like what'd you go to therapy for
1: <laughs> i mean i'm having flashbacks to season one buffy with the leopard print spy outfit.
0: (laughs) With her pink sunglasses.
1: (laughs) The summer sisters come by it naturally, right? (laughs) So Don, Don apologizes rightfully and says, it's none of my business. Uh, And then she says, baby Mitch is a cutie. Are you guys going to that dance? Which this is how you should have opened the girl talked on. Like a little rusty. I know you probably haven't talked to Melinda in ages now that you go to different high schools or whatever, but, Cassie's like, I can't go. I'm not going to be around that night.
0: Buffy, Willow, and Xander are in the summer's home doing homework, oh, sorry, doing computer research on Cassie. So again, this is where I lamented originally. I was like, that's all? Because this is the first time we see Willow after visiting Tara's grave, and we don't hear anything about it. You know, like nothing, nothing. Not them being like, how was it? Or Buffy checking in. I mean, obviously Xander was there for her, but Also, does this dining room look different to you all of a sudden, Kara? Like, at first I was like, what room are they in? Is it just like a weird angle? Like, and then I realized based on the window that it was likely the dining room. But I was like, I've never seen this room before in my life. They redecorated.
1: (laughs) I honestly did not notice. Given the amount of times the house has been smashed up, I'm not surprised if they've had to redecorate.
0: (laughs) I was blown away. So, okay. So apparently Cassie was a good student. Um, and then all of a sudden she stopped going to class. Grades dropped. Apathy and depression. What changed? If she had a psychic vision that that would explain it. And Willow asks if she really thinks this girl is some kind of precog. Buffy mentions the shirt. And Xander and Willow both question her. So I just praised Xander earlier. I take it back. Willow says maybe you're trying too hard to help that you're seeing paranormal where there's just normal. You guys. I'm shot right back to season one once again. You guys. If Buffy is saying that her Slayer senses are tingling and that this girl legitimately saw her future, just fucking believe her. <laughs> like she's always seeing paranormal stuff and she's always right about it. So just just believe it. Buffy has all the medical records of this girl somehow. I'm thinking she went to the hospital, chatted up the chatty doctor, and he came in clutch, <laughs> got her these things.
1: So you've beat me to my next question, which is how did Buffy get access to all of this stuff? <laughs> she is it because she's the quote-unquote guidance counselor. Like, she has no formal qualifications. She's just there to chat with the students. Um, Even if she did get access to those records, you're not allowed to bring them to your home. (laughs) Like Uh, Homework, Kara, obviously. Those (laughs) things have to be locked up secure. Like, in our building, anything related to personal, like, confidential student information is in a locked filing cabinet inside the locked office.
0: Well, Buffy does a big no-no right after this scene as well. So <laughs> her boundaries need to be worked on. Robin Wood should really talk to her about boundaries.
1: You want him to talk to you about boundaries?
0: I don't have boundaries when it comes to that man.
1: <laughs> I can tell. I'm <laughs> so has whatever, he.
0: whatever you think is best, Robin. Robin. <laughs> Just pose me like I got um, poisoned by gnarl and just pose me.
1: <laughs> oh God, that's the new kink right there, <laughs> gnarl sex.
0: No, no, don't call it that.
1: <laughs> gnarl kink. I love that. That's two in a row. That's two. That's two in one episode. I've come up with new terms that you don't like.
0: Oh God, maybe it's my mood. It's not. It's not you. You're just coming in you know, hot with all these things. I'm just like in a weird mood. I'm like, no, I don't want it today. But I guess today I'm saying yes to gnarled sex only with Robin Wood in the principal's office. So, okay, Willow asks if she's Googled Cassie yet. And Zetter says, Willow, she's 17. And Willow says it's a search engine. So is that the first
1: documented use of the word Google? The Buffy wiki would have you believe yes. I don't know if that's true. (laughs)
0: Because that is a big deal to say I Googled it. Because still we still say that to this day.
1: I know. And I, I don't know how Google has held on to its trademark. It's very fascinating. Mm-hmm.
0: Willow finds Cassie's website, and it is angsty, Cara. It is full of poems. Xander says poems are a sign of pretentious inner turmoil. It's
1: also pretty sophisticated for a 2003 website. Like, I'm very, because I, I made my first website on GeoCities in 2004. Shout out to GeoCities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned HTML, and I did it all by hand. And, you know, I can probably guess how Cassie's website got built. There's definitely a marquee element in there. And any of you who are old enough to remember those days of the web, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, that is some slick angel fire Lycos shit right there.
0: Cassie doesn't fuck around. She's like, I have things to share and I have a vision for this website. So they read one of her poems. It's the sheets above me cool my skin like dirt on a mad woman's grave. I rise into the moonlight white and watch the mirror stare. The pale fish looks at me. Pale fish will never swim. My skin is milk from no man to drink. My thighs unused, unclenched. This body is not ready yet, but dirt waits for no woman and coins will buy no time. I hear the chatter of the bugs. Tis they alone will feast. So I was like, whoa, if Taylor Swift were more emo, this would be her first album. Um, or it's possibly her evermore phase because Taylor taylor got really poetic in the last little bit
1: oh yeah i was i was thinking emily dickinson oh
0: there you go because you know,
1: she was obsessed with death and sex
0: <laughs> not sylvia plath so Xander says death is on her brain and don comes home she says we all deal with death Xander says this girl isn't just dealing she's giving death the long sloppy word kiss she has a yen for the big dirt nap and i thought that was a really funny line i am not gonna lie i was like i like I like how that sounded. So Willow says a lot of teens post some pretty angsty poetry on the web. I even posted a melodramatic love poem or two back in the day. And Xander says love poems because he knows she's talking about him. And she says, I'm over you now, sweetie.
1: I love that line. I know.
0: (laughs) It's so cute. She's like, I'm just saying this is normal teen stuff. You know, you join chat rooms, you write poetry, you post Doogie Howser fanfic. It's all normal, right? And truer words have never been spoken, Kara, I used to have some sort of... It wasn't live journal, but it was some sort of online blogging website. Was
1: it MySpace? Was it Bebo? No,
0: no it wasn't. I forget what it was called. Um, all my friends had it. And anyway, I used to post Evanescence lyrics because... I just I was just feeling them because I was so dark inside, <laughs> and my friends that didn't listen to Evanescence would be like they'd read these lyrics and they would be like, "Are you okay?" And I'd be like, I would like drink in the attention because <laughs> I just I, loved I was it. Hard, so, I was
1: hardcore on Deviantart for a while.
0: Yeah, like these are this is true. What Willow's saying is like, yeah, teens do do this, especially back then. Also, I will add that Doogie has Hauser was played by Neil Patrick Harris, who has worked many times with with uh joss whedon and he worked very closely with allison hannigan on how i met your mother so interesting little tidbit behind the scenes there and also for all you people who are still posting lyrics or writing your poetry and putting it online good for you keep it up hell yeah don says she's has a hunch on this one and no one's listening to her (laughs) finds cassie's dad's file on the internet don says she has the perp fingered it's Baby Mitch, Algenberg, <laughs> who keeps asking her to do the dance. I'm thinking, who likes to be rejected? Nobody. I'm thinking some people can't handle the rejection. I'm thinking, and then Willow interrupts her and just says, the dad was charged with drunk and disorderly, disturbing the peace. There's a lot of charges here. So Buffy's like, her dad's a drunk? Xander says, a violent drunk? So Zander, so Buffy says, we better get, find out. I have his address. Got your keys? So Buffy and Xander go to leave while Dawn shouts out them that, after them that she's found out that she thinks that it's uh baby mitch but they ignore her
1: she she's using detective like cop show terminology right she's like, we, like she said perp earlier she's like we gotta call her him before you know i forget exactly what she says but it's really cute i feel so bad for don like everybody's ignoring her she worked so hard to follow buffy's direction and get close to cassie and she's trying like she's not right her guess is way off but she's trying so hard and everybody's ignoring her and oh donnie
0: right i mean i feel like the last couple episodes they were taking her very seriously and buffy is taking her on patrol and stuff but she is still at the end of the day being treated like a kid but she is a kid so Mm. that makes sense
1: outside cassie's dad's door uh buffy rings the bell and then she she says buffy the vampire slayer would break down this door i think this is the second time that she said buffy the vampire slayer because the first time was an Anne in season Mm -hmm. three. yeah i think so it's cool it's cool when she says that i love it xander says and buffy the counselor buffy says waits so cassie's dad opens the door buffy introduces herself as a counselor from cassie's school and he lets her in and he's like what's wrong with cassie and you can tell you know he's a little bit like tipsy buzz she's inebriated yeah So Buffy says, that's what we want to talk to you about. And she sees there's alcohol on the counter. And she says, oh, we wanted to know, do you still drink a lot? And Cassie's dad says, what's that got to do with Cassie? And Buffy says, frankly, we were worried that you might drink too much and hurt Cassie. And he says, oh, that's all? You just come in here in the middle of the night into my home and start accusing me of beating on my daughter? That's all? Which fair right
0: honestly he's got a point
1: (laughs) Bobby has no authority to do this she's way way off that track
0: speaking of boundaries like this is this is pretty brutal right
1: this poor guy like whatever else he's done even if he is you know abusive or something like we don't know. She's jumping to You're conclusions, sane. just You're like sane. she did with Principal Wood and the Hood comment. You know, Buffy, Buffy is jumpy to conclusions, girl, in this yeah. episode. So he indignantly says, That's a lie. Lies. <laughs> and then he says, Did Cassie's mother put you up to this? Because I pay my support to the dime. She just wants to take away the one weekend a month I get to be with my girl. Is this guy Hank Summers?
0: Well, <sighs> Sounds like he loves his daughter, so no.
1: (laughs) wow. Okay, Uh, I need to go find some ointment because Hank Summers is a serious bird right
0: now. (laughs) Fuck you, Hank, wherever you are.
1: Seriously. Buffy says, which is when? Which weekend was it? And Cassie's dad says, she had her last weekend. Look, I may not be the greatest dad in the world, but I don't beat up my daughter. And Buffy says, so you won't be seeing her this Friday then. And he says, not unless my ex-wife gets a personality transplant. <laughs> oh, women, am I right?
0: Yeah, right? Burn. <laughs> you got her, sir.
1: <laughs> you know, they're like, okay. And they leave.
0: It's almost like Cassie's mom doesn't want her daughter with the alcoholic all the time. It's very strange. Okay, so this is, this is another example, car, where I was like, wait a second. There's a lot more going on with character development here they're not going to go into at all, but I am. So I also think just like so many things should trigger these other characters with what's going on here. Xander could potentially be triggered by this because he has a, an abusive alcoholic father. Sure. And I'm surprised he didn't say more about it. I'm surprised he didn't handle the situation more because he's used to that kind of confrontation, you know, again, like it's the scene is not about him. The episode is not about him. Just same as you said earlier, but it's not about Willow. But these are things that are coming up that after seven years of watching these characters, it's like, this should be something. This could have been something, you know?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, As they leave the house, Cassie approaches them and says, it's not him. He's not the one who does it. Thanks for trying, but I probably shouldn't have told you anything. You're making such a big deal out of it. And I want it all to just go away. Xander asks if she's talking about dying by suicide again. And, you know, Xander, who are you? (laughs) She doesn't know who you are. You're just some random dude. (laughs)
0: That's true. She's like, "Um, like, no. Who are you?
1: No, of course not. And Buffy says, then fight. Try. And Cassie says, there's no point. I told you. And Buffy says, this doesn't sound like someone who really wants to live. Oh my God, Buffy.
0: Yikes, Buffy. Yikes. You're getting a little judgy here, Buffy, okay?
1: Cassie says, you think I want this? You think I don't care? Believe me. I want to be here to do things. I want to graduate from high school. I want to go to the stupid winter formal. I have a friend. It would be fun to go with him, to dance and hear bad music. I'd like to go. There's a lot of stuff I'd like to do. I'd love to ice skate at Rockefeller Center. And I'd love to watch my cousins grow up and see how they turn out because they're really mean and I think they're going to be fat. Fat phobic joke in there? Mm. I'd love to backpack across the country. I don't know. Fall in love. But I won't. I just never will. Buffy says with conviction, you will. You just have to tell us what you know. You have to tell us everything. Please help us. And Cassie says, I can't. I just know it's going to happen. I don't know how or why, but something out there is going to kill me and we cut to <laughs> oh, this this brings memories flooding back like this this is the good stuff for me steph mm-hmm. a group of shadowy robed men they're in red robes they're burning a shrine that has cassie's picture in the middle of it and there's a website printouts of her poems uh in the middle of it there's coins and i'm just like this is classic sunnydale high we're what, three weeks into the school year and there's already a cult on the campus. I oh, yeah. love it.
0: A cult of men to you specifically, right? right? Like we've yet to meet I a cult of women. I can't wait for us men.
1: to go back to the locker room.
0: <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> they didn't build the godforsaken locker room. Oh my God. Um, What a great performance. What a great speech given by Azira Sky, right? Like this was really, really good for me. I felt it. I felt what she was saying. I have a couple questions about it. So, so do you think that this is supposed to be some sort of, you know, supernatural metaphor for suicidal ideation? Like I know Cassie is saying she doesn't want to die, but the way that they're treating it right with Xander saying, Oh, are you going to kill yourself? Like, are you going to die by suicide? Buffy brought up suicide earlier. I can't help but wonder if like, that's the actual message or point that they might be trying to make here. Uh, But at the same time, this episode doesn't really strike me as one where we're supposed to learn this kind of lesson, you know?
1: Yeah, no, this is not not a very special episode in, you know, capital letters. No, I I don't think that's what they're going for. And we can talk more about this at the end of the episode. I think the message of this episode is a little bit different from that. And it's about, you know, accepting that you can't save everybody. I, I think Buffy and Xander's concern about whether or not Cassie could be suicidal is coming from this abundance of caution around you know when people start talking about how they're going to die i think that's a very natural concern right i when i when i was poking fun at xander for jumping in there and asking that question i was more so like because nobody Kazi doesn't know who he is he has no standing here so yeah no i i i see where you're coming from but i i also don't think the show wants to deal with that
0: yeah I, I'm like, it's there for the picking. But again, like, like so many things I've pointed out already, it's there for the picking, but they're just like, nah, because like you're saying, I think that there's going to be a big point at the end of the episode. But in the meantime, they're skating around all these other things that they could be touching on.
1: I think what we're supposed to get from this scene in particular, and, and like you said, like the speech is delivered so well. Cassie is a character is an interesting character because she's kind of she's technically a creepy child, right? That trope. Um, but obviously she's older than most creepy ch- children that we see on TV and in movies. There's a, a worldliness to her. She's wise beyond her years because of the prophecies. She's very kind, you know? Like I, That was what I noticed most about her character during this watch of the episode. You know, she thanks Buffy for her concern. And even now when Buffy will refuse to stop trying to save Cassie's life, Cassie's just like, thanks like she's she's not annoyed with buffy right she's not like same thing in a bit with a conversation between don and cassie where it's like i'm like cassie like you're so cool Mm -hmm. you're so wise beyond your years and it's a little creepy but i I think it's a credit to the actress performance that she can make it work and make it not be as creepy but it's all it's coming from the fact that you know she's i don't know how long she had these prophecies for but like she knows what's going to happen that speech reminds me a lot of speeches we've heard in the past from people like Buffy, right? Where it's like, I didn't ask, I didn't choose to be the chosen one. And it's still my fate to die in prophecy girl, right? Or it was still I was the one who had to go off and kill my boyfriend, right? Like Buffy has had to do all of these things and she hasn't been able to have a normal life. And that's what Cassie is expressing here in this speech is she's mourning the fact, you know, that she Thinks she's going to die young. And so for me, the obvious parallel is not suicidal ideation, but it's children and adolescents with terminal illnesses, Mm. right? Like when you think about like childhood leukemia and stuff, like there are kids who are Cassie's age or younger who know that they're likely going to die. And it is tragic to be that young and to see everything that you're supposed to have, according to our society and know that you're never going to have those things. Right. And, and that's what touches a nerve in me. When I heard that speech is thinking about like, I, I teach adults, but even then, like a lot of the adults I teach are very young. They're just over 18. And, and I've had to deal with, you know, seeing the names of former students in the news Who've passed away well before their time. And it's it's hard. Obviously, anybody dying is is tragic, but you know, I think our society places a lot of emphasis on the tragedy of child death, and, and perhaps rightly so, because mm-hmm. you know, it's about that potential. It's too right? soon. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's too soon. It's one thing for somebody to pass away at a ripe old age yeah. because <laughs> <laughs> um because they've that's a life well lived right but for somebody like Cassie she has so much potential and that's really what this season is about right it is potential Mm,
0: yes well said i love that you brought up prophecy girls because that was where my thoughts were heading toward when i was uh, watching the scene yesterday it does remind me a lot of buffy learning that she was gonna die at the end of season one uh buffy had her meltdown right and then she came to accept it so obviously cassie had her meltdown uh, or she expresses it through her poetry, through her website. But now she's accepted it. And I think Buffy came across as very harsh when talking to her here, right? You and I stopped and were like, ooh, when she was like, you know, that doesn't sound like someone who really wants to live, right? She's almost like blaming Ca- Cassie or um, being self-righteous again, which sometimes Buffy can get. But I-, I really, again, see Buffy listening to Cassie talk about this. Buffy's reminded of herself back when she was 16, and was basically handed a death sentence and she accepted it. So I think Buffy is thinking I had to accept it because that was my destiny. I'm not going to let this be Cassie's destiny. And that's why I think she got a little bit overpassionate there with her while she's getting a little bit um, hard toward it. And again, that's just another example of where I'm like, these characters are relating to the episode in a lot deeper ways. And I think the episode is giving them credit for. And again, that's asking a lot of an episode like this, which are, which is obviously more concentrated on the supernatural and moving the story along for the episode. But I mean, this is a a serious parallel that I think would affect Buffy more than her hanging out in a coffin (laughs) um, at the beginning of the episode. Like this is something that she herself has gone through. So she would know, you know, so Buffy is at her desk at school, looking at Cassie's website uh, during school hours. (laughs) Robin is saying um, long week, huh? Thank God it's Friday. Can't believe I just said that. I'll see you later. <laughs> what a cool guy principal. Uh, Buffy continues reading Cassie's poems out loud. And eventually in the scene, as she's reading the poem, it shifts into Cassie's voiceover. We get a montage. We love a montage. And we never get a montage to poetry, Kara. It's always to some sort of pop music. So we first see Cassie, Don, and Baby Mitch eating lunch together. And then we see the Scoobies at nighttime doing research into... What? <laughs> no one can say. Um, we cut to Cassie in her room with dark drawings and artwork, or like kind of like from the ring. Like you said, she's a creepy child. <laughs> um, as her poem ends, that she reads out, Buffy is walking through the basement of the school looking for Spike, and Spike is sitting by himself, staring straight ahead. Buffy snaps her fingers in front of his eyes. He doesn't really blink, but then he says, if I don't move, if I don't think, if I don't listen to the voices, then I won't hurt much and buffy says there's a girl she's in danger she needs your help now time is running out it's friday uh the day cassie says she's gonna die and spike says he can't he can't hear her she says if there's something evil in the school down here maybe please do you know anything spike says yes there's evil down here right here i'm a bad man william is a bad man i hurt the girl and spike starts punching himself in the face and buffy grabs his fists and say stop it what did you do Spike says, I hurt you, Buffy, and I will pay. I'm paying because I hurt the girl. And Buffy says, Spike, no, it's not me. It's a different girl. Her name is Cassie Newton. Please, do you know anything specific? Spike shakes his head. And then as Buffy's leaving, he says, don't leave me. Stay here and help me be quiet. Buffy says, I think it's worse when I'm here. And she walks away. Spike says, don't let him hurt the girl.
1: Also, just very random observation. Cassie's poetry, much better than William's.
0: Hmm, so much better. So much better.
1: That girl could use the word effulgent.
0: She could find a way to use effulgent and use it right. So this is interesting because I like that Buffy is clearly keeping space between her and Spike. The fact that he's like begging her right now, like, don't leave me, don't leave me. It's like, that's that's exactly why he came to Sunnydale, right? So that he could like, you know, insert himself back in Buffy's life so she can take care of him and she's not doing it at the moment. And I like that. Uh, I also find it interesting that... He keeps saying, like, I hurt the girl. He's obviously referring to how many times he's hurt Buffy, but probably specifically when he tried to, att- when he attempted to rape her last season. Uh, it's interesting how his guilt only tends to be around Buffy. I mean, it's possible he's saying that because she just walked into the room and he sees her, but like, it's all about Buffy, you know? And I was like, is that the only thing that you feel bad about Spike after 130 years of violence? evil acts <laughs> right I mean, we,
1: we don't we're not seeing a ton of spikes you know view viewpoint i think i brought that up in a previous episode as well so surface level we'll see we'll see what happens as we move forward but i I hear what you're saying
0: i'm just curious i'm just curious As like what else are you guilty about is it just buffy 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 always on your mind principal wood and the janitor are searching lockers randomly. Buffy walks up to baby Mitch and says, you seem kind of upset, something on your mind? And baby Mitch is like, not really. I got a lousy B in Egyptian history. I knew this stuff cold, so that pisses me off. So Cassie was right, he did get a bee. And Buffy asks if he got, if he gets pissed a lot. I hear you can't get a date for the winter formal. <laughs> And baby Mitch says, I know it's your job to talk to kids with problems, but honestly, I don't have any. I'm fine. It's no big deal. I have a friend I really wanted to take, but I don't know. I guess she doesn't see me that way. She makes me crazy. Buffy says, crazy. And baby Mitch says, you're Don's sister, right? And this is where Buffy says, "Don's my sister. <laughs> so I like, again, I think it's cute that both sisters do that. Baby Mitch says, I was thinking if Cassie won't budge, maybe I'll ask Don. It's tonight, Mike. What are you waiting for? It's literally this, this night. Buffy says, you aren't mad at Cassie for rejecting you like that? And Baby Mitch says, nah, she's a girl, right? Making boys crazy is like her job description. Is it? Is it, Baby Mitch? So, Buffy says, you're asking my sister to the dance, and she's your second choice? Buffy, that's not even the issue here, Buffy. The the issue is that the dance is in, like, two hours. That's
1: the issue. This is my favorite line of the episode, though. The expression on Sarah Michelle Gellar's face is priceless. Did you <laughs> see that expression?
0: Yeah, she's like incredulous. It's just like
1: this, huh? Yeah, it's she's incredulous, like you said. It's it's this like huh? Like she does this thing. And she scrunches her face up, and I love that she's just so defensive of god Right? She's like, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Dawn wasn't your first choice. What's wrong with you, baby Mitch? Is something wrong with my sister? Can you tell me? Right? Like, why wasn't she your first? I just, I I think that's really sweet. As I as I mentioned earlier, when we were talking about naming baby Mitch, I'm just like, he's kind of acting like a Mitch here. Like, it's it's a dick move. And, you know, when we first meet him at the start of the episode, you're like, oh, he's sweet on Cassie. He's so cute. And then he goes, goes and does this. And you're like, yeah, hashtag not all men, but this guy.
0: <laughs> well, you're saying that is because he he's moving on quickly or he doesn't actually yes. like Cassie?
1: I don't think it's that he doesn't like Cassie, but he he, a it, it's a very teenage boy thing of, you know, he's like, well, OK, I'm over it. Like, he's not going to sit around, you know writing on poems
0: yeah i don't think it's a big deal only because again cassie rejected him he asked her many times i think this guy just wants to go to the dance he wants to go he can't go alone for some reason he can't go with friends he has to go with a date maybe that's just the way it was back then i don't know i don't blame him for having a second choice i think it's hilarious that buffy's pissed about dawn being the second choice (laughs) but it is what it is buff so suddenly a bunch of coins fall out of one of the lockers that's being searched and Buffy is like, I'm keeping an eye on you <laughs> to baby Mitch and then walks away. She looks at the coins and they're obviously ancient and weird looking like Cassie said they would be and the locker number is 281. So Buffy pulls a kid from class to her desk and she's like, your locker is number 281. And he, she's like, I want you to tell me what this is and what it has to do with the girl named Cassie Newton. And he says, I don't know anything. Buffy says, do you know why I came back to Sunnydale High to help? I'm a counselor here because I want to help. I know what it's like to walk these halls and feel lo- to feel alone and lost. And I just want to make things better connect. And I'm going to connect with your face. If you don't stop wasting my time and help me do my job, a girl could die. And the boy says some weirdo suicidal poet girl. There's guys that I know that would have mess with her. They've got this plan. And I was like, I like how this guy has removed himself from the cult." Like, he's like, I know these guys, they have yeah. the plan. My guy, you have the coins. <laughs> you have, you the plan. have the coins. You are the plan maker.
1: <laughs> yes, you are part of this. I mean, again, it's, you know, we don't teach accountability to our teenage boys.
0: It's my friend's. <laughs> holding it for a friend is basically yeah There's
1: like there's there's a little bit of rape culture in this right like even if they're not planning to like mess with cassie sexually although you know we're gonna find out in a moment what what they were planning but like there's an element of like rape culture here where it's like ho 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 like a bunch of guys are gonna gang up and you know do something to this girl and it's like wow (laughs) because no one would (laughs) care good
0: she's already suicidal they're saying
1: so again not question here but comment (laughs) um I loved Buffy threatening to beat this guy up. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe that's a problem with me. It's hilarious,
0: though.
1: (laughs) It is. But it is also different now, right? Like back in the first three seasons, Buffy was a fellow high school student. Yeah. So her threatening to beat up a fellow high school student, there wasn't as much like of a power imbalance there, even though she is the Slayer. I know what you're saying. Whereas now she is... adult. I know she's only, like, four or five years older than these kids. Like,
0: But she's in a position of power.
1: Yeah, she, she's an authority. Like, you you can't do that. I'm just going to put that out there. As, as a teacher, as an educator, uh, you're not allowed to do that to, to the kids. Rightly so. Uh, you shouldn't be allowed. And it just when she said that, I'm just like, oh Buffy, like you're gonna get in so much trouble in these days.
0: What I loved about it though is that she set it up like she was gonna like get to him by relating to him. Like I'm, I knew, I know what it's like to be you, a student. But then she just twisted at the end to be like, uh, like I can connect with your face. Right? <laughs> like I, I like that she turned Slayer near the end. Right, she started off counselor, then the Slayer took over, and I love that.
1: Cassie's leaving school. Uh, She says goodbye to Don, like final goodbye. (laughs) And Don is like trailing after her being like, no, don't go. Uh, And Cassie says, Buffy told you about me, right? Told you to pretend to be my friend. And Don says, maybe. The jig's up, Don. (laughs) She was scared. She wanted to help you. She's not like you think. She's got powers of helping. (laughs) And she was worried. And now I'm worried. I wasn't pretending at all. I, I really wanted to be your friend. And Cassie, and this is what I I mentioned earlier, Cassie's just like, silly Don, you are my friend. Yeah. Just remember, I'm not as dumb as I look. Oh, Cassie, I love you so much. Uh, Don says, I'm glad. Uh, And then Home Improvement, (laughs) as Steph has called him, interrupts from across the quad, says, hey, Summers. So Cassie looks very serious at Don and says, whatever happens now, it's not your fault, okay? And so Don turns to talk to Home Improvement. Cassie slips away. Uh, He says, I was wondering if anyone had asked you to winter formal. And Don says, no, not exactly. You know, and the way she says it, the way she's looking at him, she's like sizing him up. And then he says, I was just doing a poll. And he laughs in her face and he says, I'll see you around and walks away. And Don remarks to Cassie, who's not there anymore. "Uh, That guy is such an ass. And then she turns and discovers that Cassie's gone. And she wanders off into this very crowded uh, outdoor part of the campus, like there's a lot of students out there. Yes. Um, and she's, and, and maybe I'm just biased because that was never the situation in Thunder Bay. But... It was
0: too cold to everyone be outside.
1: <laughs> well, also like my high schools had like my first one had like 400 students, Same. and my second high school had like 1,200 students. Like, it's just it's not big enough for there to be that many students roaming around at any point. <laughs>
0: You know, you know what I like about this? I like that Dawn brushes this guy off so quick because on obviously she has bigger worries. Like Cassie might die today. So she's like, you know, um, more concerned about that. But like in any other situation, like if I were Dawn, this would devastate me. Like if a guy came up to me and right, pulled yeah. this prank... I think that's really, really mean.
1: It's incredibly mean. Because you
0: could tell she was excited for a second. She was like, oh, yes. a, a popular guy a big is deal. asking me to dance. And then he like makes it a joke. And that's really mean. I, I would be yeah. destroyed. I would cry if, it, if I was 16 years old. You know?
1: I would tell Buffy. And then the next guy, this guy... Ditch's bio Buffy's gonna have a word with him
0: that's so true i'd pull amanda and i'd jump him in the parking lot
1: <laughs> high school street locker justice
0: <laughs> love it so okay we cut to the boys chanting and doing cult circles and holding candles we've seen all this before uh but they're in the school library to do it i, I guess because they have to be over the hell mouth
1: right but the hell mouth is under principal woods office
0: yeah but like they're still in the they're over the hell mouth being in the high school though Because that's the only other reason why I can imagine why they'd be in that library.
1: It's not as nice as the old library.
0: It's no, not even close. Uh, Home Improvement is the leader of this group, we learn. Uh, A guy named Mandel is giggling. He's like, it's so cool. We're going to be so rich. And Home Improvement says, we need to have a ritual if we're going to score. O'Keefe, did you take care of the fire exits? And O'Keefe says, anyone who wants to bust in here is going to get a nasty surprise. I set up this booby trap my cousin Ben always used to do. And when he said that, because these are just high school boys, right? Cousin Ben? These are silly high school boys. Oh, you think Ben?
1: (laughs) Is there some Just, connection between O'Keefe and Ben?
0: Do we suspect <laughs> there's some sort of connection? Maybe they're roommates.
1: <laughs>
0: uh. um, someone's. I think O'Keefe. Family subletting from Ben. So, so when I first heard this, though, I didn't even clue into Ben because this show actually reuses names. Like they used Richard a couple times. Like they reuse names yeah, a that's lot fair. for these basic white people. I just I
1: like to think that the booby traps were set by like maybe they were set by Ben for like Gloria's minions or something.
0: Oh, back in the day. Oh, remember Drag? Long live, rest in peace, Drag. How I loved him. Like I had no one to thirst over besides Ben in season five, and I was like barely. But so, like remember <laughs> how. I, like, not to drag, not to thirst, but just to love, just for something there to was, love.
1: There was a little bit of thirst towards the end. You were, you were very, very depressed.
0: I was just like, I get Ben. He's so hot. I missed that intern face. <laughs> um, anyway, we're getting sidetracked here. What I thought about when he said that, I was thinking of Home Alone. Like, like, like he set up like Christmas ornaments underneath the windows, for, like a, fr- a flame above the door. <laughs> Classic O'Keefe. So the Home Improvement guy says that nobody is getting in. And then he pulls a blindfolded and duct taped Cassie out from behind, like for for dramatic effect. (laughs) She was behind a library stack and says, no one gets out. This is our sacrifice. So this is where you realize like, oh, Home Improvement was distracting Dawn so that they could grab Cassie. Mm -hmm. Yes. So... Uh, He holds up a butcher's knife and says it's nothing personal, it's just that you have this death chick suicidal vibe thing. I figured if you disappear, everyone would just assume that you threw yourself in a river somewhere.
1: This is dark. Yeah. Like, how many times on this show have we seen like, I know we've seen you know, high school age guys do some shit. Like, the closest comparison I can think of is Makita and the sacrifice of the, the the college, girls with the yeah. party. But those were college guys, right? Mm-hmm. So for like high school aged guys to be doing this, I'm just like, wow. <laughs> like you you did 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 this home improvement guy have like a whole arc that we just never saw where he started with like the small stuff and worked his way up to to a cult because right like y- you are going hard for your first crime here, my dude.
0: Maybe he's the little brother of like Richard and, and- Todd, or whatever their names were. Like, oh, yeah. That's and a Brad good point. and Chad, right? He could have been part of that it is a family dynasty, thing, right?
1: Like Tucker and Andrew. Yeah. Because they're that's out of money really now because
0: all his elders went to jail. Remember, it happened like within a day. They all got trialed and sent to jail immediately. <laughs> uh, good times. You know what was a very sad comparison that I thought of with this statement? Uh, and you and I bring up these comparisons once in a while because, again, we are from Canada and these are the true stories coming from our part of the country which is northern ontario but when he says you know someone's just going to assume that you did death by suicide by jumping into the water well that is exactly what's happening to indigenous people indigenous teens in thunder bay there was a whole documentary about it um a podcast called thunder bay where they talked about mm-hmm. the students that were found dead in one of thunder bay's lakes or rivers and everyone says that it's because they killed themselves but what it's turning out to be is that they're thrown in
1: well there's yeah there's foul play there's foul
0: play so listen listen to the podcast everybody it's so good it's car and i's home there's also
1: there's a documentary based on the podcast on crave for those of you who have crave in canada and there's also a book by award-winning uh fort william first nation journalist tanya talaga called seven fallen feathers that also talks about the same issue the thunder bay podcast and documentary is more about anti-indigenous racism and other issues in the city generally and then seven fallen feathers is specifically That's systemic about, racism yeah uh, how that racism is impacting indigenous kids in this city what a tangent. Story, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, the,
0: but like that is the draw that that is that is the connection that I saw when you said that, because you no, said it's very right. dark. And I was like, it is dark because it's true because it happens. Well, you know
1: And again, it goes back to what I was saying about the whole like, this is rape culture adjacent, right? Where it's like, this is a, a guy uh, who has been taught his whole life. He, he's clearly a somewhat privileged high school student, right? His parents probably have some money, like you said, maybe that's why he's doing this because they've lost their money. But he's being taught that girls and women are his to do what he wants, right? He uh, was wasting Buffy's time because he didn't want to go to bio. He pranked Dawn, doesn't care about her. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's a sociopath. Maybe he's just a boy who's being told that you're going to grow into a man and you're going to inherit this earth. And yeah, if you want to kill a woman because it's going to get you some money or some power then you are allowed to do that and you don't have to feel bad about it because you're, you know, this is what you're meant to do and nobody's going to stop you. And I criticize the show quite often for inadequately exploring some of these misogynistic themes, right? And and sometimes I think the show, unfortunately, just kind of reinforces some of these stereotypes and these ideas. But I I, I do like what the show is doing here. I like how the show is just very casually being like, Yep, it's another white boy in a robe, and guess who's here to save the day?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, and again, I don't begrudge this storyline at all. I think it's, like you said, it's, it's, it's well, they're really young, but uh, is it any less true, <laughs> you know, to what, to what happens in real life? Not really. So, um, he starts the ritual, asking the demon to appear before them. That's what Buffy the Vampire Slayer stands up rips off her robes and she was there the whole time she says this is going okay this is going on your permanent record <laughs> so one of the boys says it was his idea like it's probably the same boy that she caught earlier this the narc <laughs> so home improvement tells buffy to back off and buffy's circling him he said he calls her a stupid bitch and buffy kicks him in the face
1: i don't think he even gets the whole b word out no he does
0: um, he says get back uh, you stupid okay. bitch." Uh, um...
1: The moment Buffy like throws off the robe, I'm just like, oh my dude, I don't even want to stand next to you right now. Like, do you know how screwed you are? He doesn't know how screwed he is.
0: I know the fact that he's like, you're going to die. It's so embarrassing for him. So she kicks him down to the ground. She says, "Um, do you know how dumb this is? Bored teenage boys trying to raise up the demon. Sorry he didn't show. I bet it's because you forgot the boombox playing some heavy metal thing like Blue Clam Cult. I think that's the key to raising of demons. And the guy says, That demon? And there's a demon right behind Buffy. It's huge. She chucks the butcher's knife at it and it hits its arm. <laughs> um, and he tosses Buffy across the library and he tosses the butcher's knife aside. Buffy is fighting the demon as Home Improvement picks up the butcher's knife and goes after Cassie. Suddenly, Spike is there with a torch. And he says, here to help. No hurting the girl. And Buffy says, untie her. I'll take care of the demon.
1: I'm I'm really happy that Buffy, like, I'm really happy that the demon showed up so that, like, Buffy's proved right, right? Like, Buffy's like, I can handle this, right? And it's not just, oh, you know, the counselor broke us up. It's like, oh, no, the counselor can fight demons. Like, I, I almost wish Richard had, Richard home improvement
0: guy yeah but, but i'm saying like they're all basic like that right?
1: like I, I almost wish home improvement guy had lived just so that he know he got beat by Wait,
0: he died I don't think he dies. Let's, well, let's get back to it. Let's let's find out. Let's find out. <laughs> let's see what my notes tell us. you watch this episode? He doesn't die. Let's we'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. Spike knocks over Home Improvement and punches him a few times. His chip goes off as he punches him. He keeps it. He says, "I'm a bad man." He picks up the butcher's knife and Home Improvement like begs for his life, but Spike just uses it to cut Cassie free. And Buffy sets the demon on fire, and it chars. And Cassie tells but- uh, Spike. She'll tell you. Someday she'll tell you. And no one knows what that means. (laughs) And Buffy asks if she's okay. Spike just leaves. (laughs) Home Improvement crawls over to the charred demon to demand his infinite riches. And then the demon bites him and explodes. And Buffy is helping Cassie out when Home Improvement says, help me, please. I'm bleeding. And Buffy says, sorry, my office hours are 10 to 4. So this is where I, Kara. Yeah, oh, I don't yeah, think you're died. Right. Did I watch the episode? <laughs> did you, Kara? Don't bullshit a bullshitter,
1: okay? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I also I laughed at the Buffy line, right, where she's like, "My office hours are ten to um, So again, Home Improvement is peak entitled white boy because and that's what that was my head cannon name for him was entitled white boy um, because here he is like grievously grievously wounded, right? He's like, "Help me, please help me." It's like have you not been watching this whole scene, dude? But he still has the audacity to expect that he's going to get help before Cassie does. He's
0: literally never been told no.
1: Right? He crawls over to this demon who's smoking on a pile and is like, you still have to make me rich. Like, <laughs> yo, know, I'm going to call my dad. <laughs> my
0: father will hear about this. <laughs> like, it's basically what he's telling the charred carcass. Daddy,
1: like, Oh my God. It's, it's... And again, like, I really do like how the show just they play it up in this way, kind of for laughs, but it's also like a serious thing. And this is what gave me vibes of the the early seasons, because this was kind of what we dealt with. Oh,
0: like the, the boys from Go Fish.
1: Yes. And Buffy getting to be the hero and helping Cassie out and then, you know, getting to quip at this guy and feeling totally justified at leaving him there to possibly bleed out. Maybe he. we don't actually know if he died. So... I could also be right.
0: And this isn't my question. Where do the other boys go? Where are they? Did they just like, they they can't leave because it's booby-trapped. So they're he's just searching in the library somewhere.
1: Oh, they're they're yeah, they're hiding the stacks. Yeah, but Maybe we also don't find don't
0: out like did they get arrested? Did Buffy tell on them? Did the the fact That's that the That's part guy for
1: the knocked? course in yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer though? We seldom find out what happens to all the hench people.
0: I know. I think the, the biggest conversation we ever had about that was like the beginning of season two when the guys from some assembly required uh, acquired. You and I were like, what happened to those robot boys? Like what like to those 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 limb finders you know like where are they anyway on the way out Buffy opens the door which triggers a crossbow arrow that shoots at Cassie's head Buffy catches it in air it's awesome so cool we've seen Angel catch a few arrows but I don't think we've ever seen Buffy catch an arrow so um she says see you can make a difference Cassie puts Buffy's like tucks Buffy's hair behind her ear and says and you will then she gasps and falls to the ground dead as Buffy calls her name Oh dear. Oh my, oh my. So we cut to Willow, Xander, Buffy, and Dawn sadly sitting in the living room. What I noticed first thing in this scene is that Joyce's picture is on full display. Buffy says that Cassie's mom told her that the family had a history of heart irregularities, so she never told Cassie. And Willow said Cassie didn't know it was fate. Xander said she would have died no matter what, wasn't she? Didn't matter what you did. Buffy says she just knew. She was special. I failed her. Dawn, who's been crying, says she didn't because you tried. You listened because you tried. She died because of her heart, not because of you. She was my friend because of you. I guess sometimes we can't help. Buffy says, so what then? What do you do when you know that, when you know that maybe you can't help? Cut to Buffy the next day, back at her desk. Staring straight ahead, like you know, taking it in, but here she is to help another day. So cut fade to black, that's the end of the episode. I love that they showed Joyce's photo. Like Joyce's photo is always on that mm-hmm. table there, but they really wanted to showcase it here because this is the second death that we've seen probably since season five. That's a natural death, something that Buffy cannot help. Right? She tried her best, but at the end of the day, it it was just that she was ill and she was gonna die no matter what. And um, Buffy has to, again, like reconcile with the fact that she can't save everybody. There's some things that she can't, as the Slayer, help with. And she learned that lesson a long time ago in season five. But to be reminded of it, you know, in this way is is an interesting choice that the show
1: made. If I can say so, this episode reminds me a lot of Angel, the series. Because, of course, and I won't go into spoilers for Angel, but, you know, the whole vibe of angel is we help the helpless and angel spends quite a lot of time especially in the first couple of seasons trying to help pretty much every helpless person he meets and it it wears on him And, and i think one of the overarching themes of angel really is like how do you keep fighting the fight when it feels like you're not making a difference when it feels like no matter what you do or how many you save, there's still so many more you couldn't save. And that's the kind of theme I'm seeing with this episode, where it's like, like this episode feels very located within the tone and atmosphere of the Angel series, more so than Buffy, because Buffy the Vampire Slayer is about saving people. you know, Historically, that's what she's done. So it's interesting to me. My one criticism about this is that Because they made it a natural causes death, and and I I agree it should have been natural rather than supernatural, you know, because they made it a natural causes death. I I think it prevents us from comparing it to kind of what you were saying earlier, like reflecting on the systemic racism in Thunder Bay that results in uh, the death of indigenous kids and, and indigenous people in general. Buffy could never have saved Cassie like there was there was no possible way she could have saved Cassie cuz it's a heart condition. What if instead it had been a larger systemic issue that was the cause ultimately of Cassie's death, right? That like, you know, it's like, oh, like I couldn't save this one. I as an individual cannot possibly pull every single person back from the brink of whatever social determinants have conspired to lead to this person's death, right? And maybe this is just me projecting my own hangups as an educator of uh, often vulnerable or marginalized adults. Maybe I'm I'm asking the episode to, to be something it isn't. But yeah, that's kind of what I was seeing as I saw Buffy at that desk in that final shot was just like, it hits hard because it's a natural death, but at the same time, I'm like, they could have taken it a little bit further if they wanted to, and maybe that goes back to your thesis stuff that this is a shallower episode than it might have been.
0: In the shallow, shallow, that's where this episode lives. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good point too. So, so in the end, like, do I think this episode is good? Like, I, I did. I think it'll, it'll do. You know what I mean? It's not as good as the last three, in my opinion. But
1: That'll do pig.
0: That'll do pig. That'll do pig. Um, So far, season seven, that'll do pig. My headcanon is that Cassie did make a tattoo design that she left for baby Mitch that he can get in her memory now um, and wear it to every school dance that he ever goes to. And he probably has to go get the tattoo at the same place that Buffy got her tattoo removed. Remember Buffy paid to get her tattoo removed back in season two? (laughs) Oh, Igon. So also what I want to add here is that I really love that we never learn more about Cassie's gift, like her powers. That's so
1: fascinating. I was going to bring that up and I was going to say the opposite, which is I'm frustrated. You want more. Because that is the only supernatural thing about Cassie, right? She dies from natural causes. But what or who gave Cassie this gift of prophecy? Why is it the girl who's fated to die of natural causes who gets this gift, you know, and, and she's placed in Buffy's path? is this connected to the overall theme of the season and the big bad? Like, where's the levels of manipulation here? And for a show that's usually so good at connecting the dots for us,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: maybe we're going to find out more in the future. But I'm just like, so I I appreciate that you have a different point of view.
0: Yeah, no, and that's really fair. The frustration of it all. Uh, The fact that I actually really liked Cassie as a character. I wish she stuck around. That would have been cool to have her for longer in the season. Why I think I like it is because I just kind of like the mystery of it. Like we know that premonition exists in this world. Buffy has premonitions, uh, Cordelia over on angel, even though spoiler, uh, she sees the future, um, specifically for very specific reasons. She sees it. There are powers that be, we learned over in, in, all over on angel. Once again, they don't talk about it as much over on Buffy, but like there are, larger forces in this universe that get involved in one way or another. Usually it's evil. Evil gets more of a handhold on earth for some reason. I think Cassie was, you know, a figure of the light. I think that her gift was underutilized. Of course, she died way too soon. But I think knowing that her gift was there and she was using it to help, I just think that's like a nice sentiment. It's like, she we don't know what her gift was, but she was using it for good. And I think that's a good overall thing i don't need to know more i like that it's subtle i like that it's very yeah, subtle
1: that's a good perspective all right who's your hero i mean i think i have to go with buffy like she does did she do a flip to do in this episode
0: not that i saw
1: okay it she felt like she in did. the face like, though
0: she kicked a mitch right in the uh, richard right in the face
1: <laughs> i i was really here for buffy in this episode um so, yeah, she's my hero.
0: I'm giving it to the to the Summer Sisters.
1: Uh, I love that Dawn is our hero so much in this season.
0: Right? I think I think Dawn steps up whenever Buffy needs her to. She tries her hardest. She was there at the beginning she, with the coffins. She's there doing the research. She's there befriending Cassie. She cried for Cassie at the end. Dawn deserves a hero award, too.
1: I love that. <laughs> All right. So we have a couple of hot steaks from our listeners. Please send us more. First up, we have Fena, who wants to talk about Willow on trial. Fena says, while I totally agree, Willow should be held accountable. She can't do what Faith did and walk into a police station to turn herself in. Uh, Steph, in the Willow on trial episode, you and I compared Willow to Faith because both of them are, you know, supernaturally powered beings who ended up killing a human. Uh, and we said, like, Willow had to go and serve jail time and stuff. And Fenna's is pointing out, you know, kind of a counterpoint here. She says, when Faith did that for the murder of the volcanologist that happened just off camera, there was a dead body with stab wounds so that the police opened an investigation. What would happen if Willow tried to confess? There are no dead bodies. She burned up Warren into nothing after she flayed him. And she killed Rack at his place, which non-supernatural people can't find. It was cloaked. Also, what would she say when they asked her how she killed them? With magic? So there's a, those are some counterpoints.
0: I mean, I like these counterpoints. It's always good to get our brains clicking right at the end of a very long recap episode. But here's what I think about this. Uh, do you need a body to confess to murder? Can't you just confess to the murder? Like, there's a lot of bodies that never get found, right? And people still confess to them,
1: and they still go to jail. I mean, false confessions are a thing. Here's my thinking. First of all, I think we have to remember, say it with me, Steph, the Sunnydale police...
0: Are, are deeply,
1: deeply stupid. stupid. Yeah. So
0: the police in this town are deeply <laughs> stupid. <laughs> right?
1: Um, so yes, I think your your point is well taken, Feta. I think any other competent police agency out there could construct a pretty convincing case. Yes, there's no body, but think about like
0: the was Willow missing. seen
1: with Warren. Was there CCTV footage, right? Like There'd be if Willow was willing to cooperate with the police and own up to her crime, there must be some forensic evidence. There must be some connection, um, much like there was a connection between Ben and Glory.
0: <laughs> what? Um, hey, Willow had a motive, too. He killed her girlfriend. So, yeah. So, he, so yeah. I feel like she could if she said I did it, I use knives, you'll never find the body, but I want to go to jail for it. They'd be like, all right, in you go. Right. Rat prison, in you go.
1: Additionally, since we're talking about the Sunnydale police who are deeply stupid, <laughs> maybe she doesn't, you know, get time for Warren's murder, but she did single-handedly dismantle half of the Sunnydale police station and like attack the on-duty police officers. That's worth some jail time at least.
0: I'm also right? pretty sure that Anya would have called it in that Willow bombed her store. (laughs) She would have been petty like that. You know? Like,
1: yeah, that's all. I don't, would you call it domestic terrorism? Like, (laughs) yeah. So Fena, congratulations. You are technically correct, which is, as we all know from Futurama, the best kind of correctness. However, I think that there is enough evidence, both circumstantial and otherwise to, cause willow to get jail time for something if willow were to go and confess nice so.
0: try fena but we are putting her in a rat prison whether you like <laughs> it or not nothing is stopping this train i don't care um okay <laughs> thanks Fenna. nicola wrote in as well uh, to talk about xander from entropy uh nicola says Xander's reaction to finding out about Buffy and Spike reminded me of when Willow found out about Xander and Cordelia. Xander hated Spike likewise Willow hated and was bullied by Cordelia. So both their reactions to finding out their crush was dating or sleeping with their mortal enemy kind of paralleled each other. Yeah, I don't disagree. <laughs> um it's all messy, isn't it? <laughs> it's <laughs> well, very it's messy and...
1: <laughs> No, this wasn't the affair. This was Xander and this was before. Affair, you're right, you're right. Thanks.
0: I've already been ruffled up by Fenna. (laughs) (laughs) (asette) (laughs) (laughs) ( Inaudible)
1: (laughs) (laughs) (acco) (laughs) ( Jason) (BLANKconomas) (inaudible) (table) (laughs) (ację) ( fordiمكنashed) We're so spicy today. We're [Sigue) also
0: tired, like, talking for two (笑). hours is late.
1: So, yeah, we should finish things up. Uh, thank you, Fenna. Thank you, Nicola, who is one of ( Hat.] our chosen ones. Uh, thank you to all of our Buy Me A Coffee supporters, especially our chosen ones, Laura, Oh, I knew Rochelle. you would do that.
0: <laughs> I
1: fucking knew you were going to do it. I'm not even doing it crosswise.
0: I know, like, but I just knew you were going to shake it up. I just could tell. I like to shake it up. I know. There are some nights where
1: I just know what you're up to. It's the spice in our relationship.
0: <laughs> the spice in our relationship is the gnarled sex. That's... <laughs> <laughs> the new spice
1: <laughs> not in our relationship, thank you very much.
0: Thank okay, you. Well, I'll tell you all about it.
1: <laughs> Laura, Rochelle, Amy, Ricky, Tasha, Haley, Chase, Allison, Erica, Destiny, Kyle, and emma
0: Lauren, Kimmy, Christy, Jasmine, Susanna, Reese, Joshua, Louise, Nicola, Julian, Jordan kayla and holly thanks everybody i believe we have a special guest coming to join us next week
1: you know we do who's it gonna be
0: <laughs> uh we'll see you next week bye thanks for listening to prophecy girls if you want and can afford to donate head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecy girls for one time and monthly
1: options you can also visit prophecygirls.ca slash store to view all of our merch and rep the podcast on a sweatshirt, mug, sticker, or more.
0: We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week.
1: We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels.
0: Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter.
1: You can also email us at Prophecy Podcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca, where you can find the link to our Discord. Praise Moloch. See you next week.